Hi, it's Cole here, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. Before this episode, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a horror podcast and a friend of The Town Whispers that recently joined the Rusty Quill Network, home of the Magnus Archives. We personally think you'd love them, if you already love the fort, that is. The podcast is called The Storage Papers. It's a bi-weekly horror anthology podcast exploring a series of documents about a flurry of unexplained phenomena in Southern California. The protagonist and narrator Jeremy won a collection of papers at a storage auction and is now immortalizing them in the form of a podcast. But he's found himself in the middle of a sinister plot. Join the storage papers every other week as Jeremy shares these seemingly unrelated documented encounters. But be warned, the more he dives into them, the more Jeremy is convinced they might not be so unrelated after all. Jeremy begins wondering who to trust as he becomes an active participant, witnessing paranormal events himself as he develops an unhealthy attachment to the papers. Things are not what they seem. Season 3 recently began on the Rusty Quill Network, and you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can visit thestoragepapers.com or rustyquill.com for more information. Thank you, and now on to the show. The Town Whispers is a narrative horror podcast that will tell the many stories hidden behind the rain and the fog and the trees of the fort. But it's what walks the streets of this terrible and quaint rural town that you should be watching for. Listener discretion is advised. about the streets of the fort, kicking a can idly as he spun introspective thoughts and pondered the world as a child deep in daydreams would do. Above him, the day blazed on behind the overwhelming white, bright clouds that blotted the sky as usual. Off in the distance, there were moodier clouds still, rain clouds that swirled when you looked at them. Even from as far away as Adam stood in that moment, he could see them move and writhe in the distance. Townsfolk moved about Main Street, the usual thoroughfare for people going about their business and greeting one another as they do in small towns where everyone knows everyone's name. A man brushed past Adam, checking him hard enough to make his footfalls falter. He turned sharply to address the man, make him pay. How dare he be touched in such an insolent way by such a lowly being. But the man was made of more skin than bones. There was no pride to the way he walked and moved either. 
He had a newspaper jammed up into his armpit as someone would do if their hands were full of other, more important things, but his hands were empty and that's when Adam noticed just how resignated the man who had bullishly pushed past him was. The lazy, lumbering steps, the poor hygiene, the sullen, fallen face. The true depths of its silent despair hid behind an overwhelming mustache covering the small stature of his chin. Mr. McCormack. Adam recognized him through James's eyes and recalled the various unpleasantries that characterized the older man with Tom's mind. A lingering tendril of Tom's natural human curiosity and empathy warmed his innards, and before Adam knew what he was doing, he found himself trailing not more than 20 steps behind Mr. McCormack. There was no life in the man, no spark of anything, even his shadow was limp and pale. Adam licked James's lips, well, his lips, as he felt a hunger gnaw at him. And the longer he followed the man, the more overwhelming the hunger became. What was hidden inside Mr. McCormack? What was rotting him from the inside out? If Adam was gentle, he might be able to pry it from the man and savor that sweet taste without killing him. Because, of course, Adam didn't want to be found to draw attention to himself and killing him would only do just that. There is much more power in a secret than there is in a self-evident truth. So, quietly, he stalked Mr. McCormack, carefully timing his footsteps to coincide silently with his prey. Every stumble of the middle-aged man, who looked well beyond his years made, Adam would tense his core just at the last moment, before he let his foot fall to the ground making that crunch of gravel or dirt, testing his new body, James's body. It was athletic, it was young, it was free from the aches and pains of age, and it was well-nourished and deceptively strong. And the best part of all, James was still locked inside the meat as well, forced to watch Adam pilot him, move him, direct his words in his eyes, he was completely powerless, unable to fight back, completely unaware of what had even happened. Confused and scared. Adam found it all so exhilarating and nourishing, the flittering, anxious, terrified sliver of his brain that was still James to use was on flames and the coals that spit from it warmed Adam's heart. Maybe that was enough. Just maybe he would leave Mr. McCormack alone. Maybe there was no need to pry the man open and splay his soul on the table to read. He was, after all, in such a good mood and with many a thing to do, of course, like finding Peggy LaPont. But where, oh where, was the fun in that? Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, sir. Mr. McCormack. How are you doing today, sir? Huh? Oh, James. Fine, thank you. Alright then, is there something I can do for you? Uh, not particularly, sir. Well, actually, I don't suppose you've seen Peggy. You know, uh, Peggy LaPont? 
Tom's sister, Mildred's daughter, the LaPont family? Oh, yes, of course. Good family. Known her father a, a good long time. So, you know where Peggy is then? Oh, uh, oh, no, no, I, I was only saying I know the family. Good friends with her father and all. So, you can't tell me where Peggy is then? I think I should be getting inside now. Hey, uh, give me a glass of water, will ya? Uh, excuse me? Well, if it isn't too much trouble, that is. Okay, in with ya. I'll pour you a glass of water and then you best be off. Of course, of course. Thank you so much, sir. Adam, putting up the front that he was indeed James, stepped into what had once been a front foyer. But given the detritus and filth that clung to the edges of the room, and the odor in the air, it was apparent that Mr. McCormack had been treating the foyer as a mud room in the most literal sense. The middle-aged man lumbered into his home, dipping behind a wall and disappearing as he moved to the kitchen to fetch a glass of water for the boy he knew as James. Adam stood in place, examining Mr. McCormack's hidden world, his safe space, locked behind a flimsy wooden door, latched and locked with an inconsequential piece of metal he would have called a deadbolt. But what exactly was it supposed to keep out? Adam mused to himself, what did anyone plan to keep out with a glass window or a thin door or a tiny, frail and brittle piece of cheap plastic? Well... Here you go then. Drink up and then head on back to Heaven Hill before it gets dark out. The days are getting longer, but they aren't that long yet. (sighs) That is so much better. I always forget how thirsty the business of being human is. James, I don't have the patience for your games right now. I wonder, Mr. McCormack, what sort of secrets you have. Mr. McCormack stood there, but fuddled at the sudden change in the boy's demeanor. His voice, his eyes, the way he stood and licked a drop of water that had spilt from the glass and dribbled over his lip. James, you better get out now, boy, or I... Or you'll... what? I've got a better idea. Tell me the worst thing you've ever done in your small and inconsequential life. I'm getting quite curious. I, uh... uh... trapping with my old man. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, it didn't matter. As far as my father was concerned, no sane man would pay for food when food ought to be free. My cousin, Abel, 
Lord, I haven't said his name in so long. <laughs> you know, it almost feels nice, like easier to breathe. <laughs> Abel loved my father, and my father loved Abel, and they both loved the rain and the mud. Morning never came early enough for them. By God, they'd be up clucking before the roosters. But it wasn't bad, I mean. Abel lived just far enough away that it made it a nuisance for him to come over most days or nights. But then my father's brother, uh, Abel's dad, got on in years and never was much for taking care of himself, so he passed, and that's when I suppose Abel moved in with us. I always wanted a brother, and at first that's what it felt like. We always got along, Abel and I. Complete opposite, though, you know. Uh, most adventure I ever craved was the hunt for a good book, and considering my father's notions of books and how they were a waste of money, it really was a hunt looking for my next dog-eared read. My father, he was uh, never able to figure out the letters from one another, but, but Abel could. Abel had more years of learning than I did, for goodness sake. And he was always quicker on the uptake than me as well, but he'd pretend around my old man that reading was for fools, and then it seemed like the more time he spent living with us, the more like my old man he'd become. He was bright and kind, and the next thing you know, he'd be calling me Saddle Goose and snickering with my pops about it. It, it hurt. Being called Saddle Goose was one thing, but having your own father join in on the fun. Well, felt like I was a nuisance after a point. Like I was the rain on their never-ending day of sunshine. A boy with the kind of father he'd always wanted. Stronger, younger, resourceful. Abel's idea of a real father figure. And a man with a son who he could finally relate to. Fast and agile, athletic, muscular, and after a while cruel as well. And it was just that, for a long time. Until the Fort Register opened, I, I think I was 16. I thought maybe that'd be it for me, you know. I could get a job as a reporter or editor for the Fort Register if I could do that. My old man would have to be proud, you know? See the worth in reading all those books? I fantasized about how proud I imagined he'd be. Even if it was silent pride, I could stand next to Abel and feel like my father's son again. But I didn't really take into account that the Fort Register wouldn't be hiring too many folks on account of there not being any news to report. Well, I gave up after I asked them to publish a short story of mine. I thought it would be a way in the door prove that I could write and maybe they'd pay me or not pay me and, and just let me show up for the sake of my pride. Well, they published it all right, along with a review from the editor-in-chief of the paper. And I quote, Many things grow in the fort, but a talent for the written word and the young Master McCormick is not among them. 
Well, if you think my old man hated having a son who wanted to read and tell stories and waste his life on words, I can tell you he hated having a son who had no talent for it even more. He'd been a mean son of a gun when I was a boy, taking the belt to me with little mercy, but the beating I got when someone finally read that review out to my father, well... <clears throat> well, there were no more books in my home after that. Which would be fine. Except for the fact that the Fort Register wouldn't hire me and I didn't have a pot to piss in. I was stuck. With my father and my cousin who'd taken a calling him son about the same time he started calling me boy. Fall that year was brutally wet, and there weren't much in the way of game, and every day, Abel and my old man would drag me out before dawn and we'd return home at dusk, dog-tired, beaten, bruised from a day of just checking and setting and resetting traps. Every day, the same miserable routine. Wake up. Eat if there was food, load up, and head out. I started to resign myself to that's just the way life was. I stopped counting the days. But looking back, it wasn't really that much time. I was uh, just young and impatient, and so angry inside. One day I wake up and it's well into the day. I remember rubbing my eyes in disbelief, and then disbelief turned to panic and then panic soothed itself and settled into my bones, transforming to dread. I'd slept too late. They'd left without me. They'd be out there working while I was inside being lazy and good for nothing, and then, well, I nearly bursted through the door, hoping I could just catch them out there, minimize the damage. When the door swung open, I saw my father and Abel just sitting on the edge of the porch, dangling their legs over like schoolyard chums at the swimming hole. Just talking, not out trapping, not cursing my name, my existence, and the fact I'd been born the son of my father instead of Abel. They were just there laughing. I didn't really know what to do. Should I just slink back inside, turn the script, pretend I'd been out working all day and cursed them for a change. Well, they heard me and turned and welcomed me to sit down. <laughs> I'll be honest, it took me by surprise, but I joined them. The two just sat there looking at me. And then Abel puffed out his chest and proclaimed he had just uh, signed up to join the war, you know. The Great War in Europe to fight the Germans. I hadn't even really known we were in a war. But of course, Abel had already signed up, eager to prove his worth, but having already succeeded in just the deed of having signed the dotted line already in my old man's eyes. I thought he was an idiot, but when I turned to my dad, I saw such a look of pride. I joined in on the camaraderie for a change. I even put on my finest tweed and spit shine my boots before heading down to the Fort Register myself where, you know, the recruitment center had been set up. The first hug I got from my father since I could remember was when I joined in blindly that one time in the machismo 
in their idea of manhood. On the way down, I even started sounding out the words in my head I was so wrapped up in it. Private McCormick of the Canadian Expeditionary Forces. When I got there, I stood in line. Seemed I wasn't the only young man caught up in the excitement of it. One by one, each boy in front of me had their papers stamped. Then they huddled together off to the side, acting or trying to act much more like men than they'd been just moments before. And then it was my turn. <laughs> the recruiter took just one look at me before standing up. He walked around the table, eyeing me up and down, gave my freshly shine boots a couple of light kicks, splashing mud all over them, before sitting down again and then uh, calling out next. I uh, stood there for a moment, confused, and then I just held out my application like a fool, thinking he'd just uh, forgotten to stamp my papers. But. He just called out for the next in line before another man in uniform pushed me off to the side. Didn't even give me the dignity of a reason. Just called out next. I still stood there for a few more moments though. I saw them without a glance continue to stamp each young man's paper before they too joined the growing crowd of eager young men willing to fight for their country. It had only been me, who wasn't good enough to go to some far-off place to die for something I didn't really care about. I think that's what really burnt me up inside, that I didn't want to do any of it. I was doing it for my old man so he'd be proud, but I should have known. The moment I heard the recruitment center had been set up at the Fort Register. Anyways, I walked home and my dad stood proud and held out his hand as I walked up to the porch, which for some reason stung even more than having not fulfilled the earlier promise of, of that rare hug he'd given me. I just walked past him, looking my best not to look sullen, and went back to bed. Well, uh, next day we go out trapping. No one says anything to me, which is somehow worse in the moment than the comfort of their usual harassment and badgering. And the day's nearly over, and then I hear this snap, like a tree with metal bark had just cracked in half, and then Abel's screaming followed right after. I didn't know where my old man was, but I called out for him all the same as I ran to see what had happened. I saw Abel on the ground, tears just pouring out of him as he crept his knee. And then I saw the bear trap that he stepped into, clamped around his leg, biting into his calf muscle, nearly cutting it in half. Silly, really. There aren't even bears in these parts, save for the old black bear that comes on down out of the mountains. Not even good for eating, but my old man always insisted. I just stood there. I was gonna help. I was gonna tie off his leg. I'd read that in a book once, heard about it before, heard my dad talking about it, but I knew how to properly tie a tourniquet. How high you had to get it to actually cut off the blood. You know, cause otherwise the severed arteries just, uh, just pouring into you. 
even if it looks like you've got it handled from the outside. But I didn't help. My feet were just stuck in place as all the times I'd felt like Abel had taken my spot in life, stolen my old man from me, made me look worse by standing so much taller than me. I just thought about how miserable life had been since his uh, old man had passed and he'd come to live with us. What made my mind up for me was the image of, uh, of how proud my father was when Abel had signed up to fight in the war. And then I just walked away. I walked away until I couldn't hear screams anymore. By the time my old man found him, he bled out. I hadn't killed him, though. I just hadn't helped. Well, that's what I told myself. stood there awkwardly, having spilled his guts to the boy he knew was James to hear, his deepest, darkest secret. And then a look of realization spread across his face, a realization that no one could ever know what it is that he had done, that no matter what, James could not tell anyone. Oh no, 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 Mr. McCormick. I won't tell anyone your secret, so just go ahead and wipe that nasty look off your face and those nasty thoughts from your mind. I have a much better idea instead. Oh, <laughs> go and grab a knife. Trust you have one in your kitchen, yes? Silently, Mr. McCormick did as he was told, moved by the same strings that compelled the story from his guts and returned with a large hunting knife that looked as if it hadn't been sharpened in many years. Hmm, that's your father's, isn't it? Very sentimental of you. Now, be a good boy and place your forearm on this table here. Well, I, I, I can't... Just, I, I... Be quiet and place your arm on the table. Yes, good, very good. Mr. McCormick placed his forearm on the smooth wood surface. Your cousin. No, no, your, your brother. Trapped like an animal. I think it's only fair. You know what it's like yourself to be powerless. Not 
like you were as a boy, but truly powerless in the face of the trap. And Jaws, much more grand than that of a bear trap. And I want you to know what it's like to gnaw yourself free. Hmm. I must be off. I have many things to do, and your story took much longer than I had hoped, although it was delectable. Mr. McCormack, cut off your arm. Compelled in a silence, Mr. McCormack raised the dull, rusted hunting knife that had once been his father's. His brow sweat from the strain of fighting back against that which was impossible to fight. And then it descended, slowly at first, and then like a bear trap, clamping down all at once, barely splitting the skin at first. But the wound grew larger and spat out fountains of blood as he began to saw back and forth, back and forth. Adam walked into what was now night, the sun having set during the telling of Mr. McCormack's tale. And while he compelled the man who looked much older than he was into silence, no amount of compulsion by any force Adam could muster could hold back the screams of soul-rending pain. Today's episode was written and performed by Cole Weavers. Sound production and editing by Matt Black. Our theme song is by the ever-wonderful Charlie P.S. The fort is built on secrets and shadows, on unspoken truths and the designs of the long shadows, whoever they may be. But it's also built on the support of its townsfolk. Would you like to support our tiny little monstrosity of a town by mending the roof of the church or keeping the doors of the sanatorium for the lost and unwanted open? Or perhaps you'd rather help build a mausoleum for the ones who will never die. In thanks for your support, and for only a few dollars a month, you'll receive episodes of The Town Whispers released early and forever ad-free as well as exclusive short stories and one-shots to expand your knowledge of what lays dormant and watching under the earth. Would you like to see, with your own frail eyes that can only see what can be imagined by the goodness of a heart drenched in humanity by receiving digital rewards of the visual variety? All this and more will be revealed on our Patreon. Please consider joining us at www.patreon.com slash the town whispers. If you would like to support us in other ways, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at the town whispers or by leaving a five star review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on the show, please head on over to www.thetownwhispers.com. I got the ghost of you inside of my head. Son
Jesus.